Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening to Let's Brief It, the podcast made for law students by law students. I am Oweda Fabiola from the Georgetown University Law Center. And I'm Andrew Nettles from GW Law. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring corporate law with Hardeep Grover. Hardeep is an on-demand chief legal officer for growth-focused businesses throughout the corporate life cycle, including buy and sell side M&A, and he practices in California, New York, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Hardeep, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for making time. Could you please share your journey as an attorney who is doing solo practice? and your transition from the wine industry to the art and entertainment industry? Yeah, sure. I guess we're starting with the hardest question first, the longest answer. So yeah, I've had a little bit of an interesting journey in the law. I graduated in 2010, which was not a great time to enter the profession as a lawyer. It was, it was really tough with a recessionary environment and you know, hiring cycles kind of off track. And at that point, I, I was in a place where I knew I wanted to live in California. And so I graduated from GW Law in 2010, packed up my bags and just kind of showed up in California and uh, did my best to make it work. I had a fun time. I ended up being counsel for a couple of wineries out there, which was really, you know, fantastic. I, I enjoyed it. I did everything from advising on TTB labeling, which is the new version of alcohol, tobacco and firearms to FDA labeling and just general guidance through wine industry dynamics, regular contracts, and things of that nature. But eventually, San Francisco got a little small for me, so what I decided to do was move to New York. It's the only natural move when any city gets too small. And so I moved to New York in 2012 and ended up doing securities litigation because, you know, the law, at least in, in law school for me, it felt like it, it guided us towards litigation above everything else. And Mentally, I had that perspective that I should probably be a litigator because everyone else is a litigator. And uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated litigation in every part of it. And what I realized is I'm just not a very contentious person. And litigation just wasn't a good fit for me. We obviously need litigators in society. They have a very important role. But just because I went to law school does not mean I need to be a litigator. And I actually came pretty close to leaving the law at that point. I was ready to open a brewery in, in Brooklyn and, you know, start a whole new life and a, a fun life from what I thought it would be at that point. But I did a lot of soul searching about where I provide value, where my skill sets are, what I enjoy and what my long-term trajectory and path might be. And I decided to kind of break off from the mold a little bit and start my own practice around the things I love and the things where I have deep roots and connections. And the two places where I had really heavy, deep roots and connections were the art and entertainment industry and the food and beverage industry. For food and beverage, I worked in hospitality and restaurants for a large part of my life, somewhere around a decade. I worked front of house, I worked back of house, did management, I did grunt work, and I, I was really familiar with the industry. And I felt like that would give me a little bit of a leg up because a, an average lawyer, from my perspective, at that point at least coming in, may not understand the dynamics and nuances of the food and beverage industry enough to properly advise them. And, and I would. And so my value proposition was that I would know what the restaurateurs need. And I would also know when they're not telling me things that maybe they should be telling me. And so I'd still be able to advise them properly and give them optimal counsel. And for art and entertainment, I had tons of friends at the time that were actors and filmmakers and literary artists and musicians all in New York because it's New York. And so that felt like a natural fit too, because I felt like I, I had my fingers on the pulse of what was happening in New York. 
And so I decided to start a practice around those industries. And from there, I grew a bit. I added a medical and dental practice, but I grew enough over the years that I decided my fit is actually better as industry agnostic. I have specialized knowledge in those industries, but I'm happy to work with any kind of business and nonprofit because I have the knowledge base and ability to, to guide any kind of business at this point. And to make sure I can do you know, even better in that role, I actually completed an MBA last year to be able to have the holistic picture of how businesses work and to be able to properly guide them in all of their endeavors. I think that's really interesting. That's the first time that I've heard the term industry agnostic. I really like that way, almost like saying uh, you're a jack of all trades. And I particularly found interesting your work in the hospitality space. During undergraduate, I majored in hotel and restaurant management, actually. And my next question was just sort of along those lines. I was curious how you started cultivating those relationships. Did you work with independent restaurants with owners or did you work at the franchise level? Well, it's kind of, I don't even want to say flip sides at the same coin. It's kind of the same side of the same coin, right? When, when you are a franchisee, assuming you're asking about franchisees rather than franchisors. When you're a franchisee, you are a restaurant operator. You're, you're ground level. When you're a franchisor, it's a little bit different. But in my experience, most franchisors are also restaurant operators and also in charge of basically managing IP. A, a franchisor is basically an IP management entity from my perspective. And you achieve that once you've actually created a, a viable brand. But going to your question, it's all word of mouth. That's kind of how things work for most lawyers. I've, I've tried a lot of different things in marketing. You know, I've tried Instagram. I've tried speaking on panels. I've tried SEO, building a website, blog posts, you name it. I've tried it. But what I've found is that lawyers are trusted advisors. And when you're looking for a trusted advisor, you want some kind of proof, evidence from someone that you trust that they provide good work product, that they are actually a trustworthy advisor. And so having something like a website or an Instagram profile is affirmation that you exist and you're a real business, but it's not going to itself lead someone to hire you. From my experience, that comes from colleagues and other attorneys and other clients and customers. It's all word of mouth because as lawyers, we are purveyors of trust. That's very interesting. And you sound like someone who is passionate about art and industry and being creative in general. I would like you to share more insights into this legal landscape in the creative industry. How has it been for you to work with creatives on legal matters? It's great. It's all about perspective, right? I meet other folks that are in entertainment and that have contemplated entertainment and their focus is always like, do your clients pay? And that's always the first question, right? Because there's two groups in the entertainment space, the, the way I see it. There's the groups with the money, and then there are the artists. And sometimes there's a match between them, but those are the primary groups. And so if you want to work with the folks with the money, often you're going to be at a larger firm handling things like that. If you're you know, representing a, a film studio or something like that, then you're going to be at a big firm and you're not really working with the artists in the same way. And if you're working with the artists, in a lot of cases, you know, you are going to be working with folks that aren't that fluid, that don't have that much money. And so for me, I thoroughly enjoy working with artists, but at some point, it's kind of a level of giving back in a lot of cases, because it's not, you know, you can't charge heavy amounts of money to the average artist because there's only so many stars in the world. 
And if you've got one of them, great. But otherwise, it kind of steps outside of the business enterprise in a way and focuses a little bit more towards pro bono and low bono efforts, which I think are really important in all of society, frankly. I'm also on the board of the Washington Area Lawyers for the Arts, and that's where I do a lot of my proactive pro bono efforts. We work with a lot of artists to create classwork and courses, but we also have pro bono activities where we try to match attorneys with artists that need help, but maybe don't have the funds to hire a traditional attorney to make sure that their needs are met and their needs are taken care of. And I think this is especially important in Washington, D.C. right now, because the arts industry is growing by leaps and bounds, and we need to make sure that this culture and this community is fostered more than ever. I, I was born and raised in D.C., and you know, back in the 80s and 90s, I don't remember such an arts-heavy community, an arts-heavy perspective, and a culture around art the way that we have it now. And I love it. it. We have muralists and street artists and filmmakers and musicians and literary artists. We have names that are on the radio. It's, it's a fantastic time to be a Washingtonian. And I think we need to make sure as a city that we foster a, a culture of creativity and make sure that this creative industry flourishes. And so as attorneys, yes, it's wonderful to be able to make a living working with artists. But I think it's as important to make sure as attorneys, we give back to foster and help create this culture. During your time at GW, are there any relevant courses or clinics that helps you prepare for your current practice? And are there any classes or clinics that you wish that you would have taken? Yes, I wish I had taken clinics. And for anyone listening that's a law student, please take a clinic, please. It's so important. And again, it's one of my biggest regrets. Law school is amazing because the concept is it teaches you how to think like a lawyer, which everyone has probably heard a thousand times. But it doesn't really teach you the practice of law. There was no point in law school where I sat down and wrote a contract. And I have to do that literally every day of my life. I'm, I'm writing or editing contracts all the time. And that was not a part of my law school experience. I may have written briefs and memos and things like that. But you know, unless you're in big law, in my experience, clients don't really want memos. I have, since I entered the practice of law 13 years ago, I have literally not written a memo once. Because a client doesn't want to pay for that. They just want the information. If, if I can take 10 minutes on a phone call and convey that information, they're going to be a lot happier with me than if I wrote a memo. And so, you know, law school taught me how to think like a lawyer and taught me how to understand a lot of perspectives of, of a traditional legal mindset. But it didn't really teach me how to interact with clients and provide value and provide the services they need and meet those services or, frankly, how to run a business as a lawyer. It, it, we focus a lot on the prestige of being a lawyer, and we focus very little on the fact that law firms are businesses, and businesses need to be profit-focused and have enough revenue to sustain themselves and survive. And we didn't learn any of that. And in the end, it all comes down to clients and, and working with clients, and I think you get that experience through a clinic. So I would strongly suggest to any law students that still have the ability jump into a clinic. If you are a young lawyer that's graduated and didn't do a clinic, focus on pro bono. I think it gets you the same kind of concept. The DC bar has tons of resources to give back and provide pro bono. Whether you want short sets of legal advice paired up with a mentor or you, you want a longer engagement with a lot of experience, the DC bar has options to be able to provide pro bono and help the community while you learn those soft skills and hard skills that really make us attorneys at the end of the day. So I'd say focus on clinics. In terms of coursework, 
you know, I I didn't really have a transactional focus in law school. So I didn't really take that much from individual classes in a way that I could use today. You know, there's nothing I, I took in law school that would teach me how to negotiate a commercial lease or how to structure an IP spinoff company or or anything of that nature. But little things came through and were really helpful. There was one point, for example, that I took a course on First Amendment and another seminar on rights of publicity and privacy. And those I can use in my entertainment practice on a very regular basis, even though I didn't really intend to use them in that way when I took them. I just took them because they were interesting. That probably should have been a sign that if I found them interesting, then I might take it into my practice one day. But, you know, I would say law school is just a great learning experience. And I'd say make sure you learn how to work with clients in that experience. That is going to bring you the greatest benefit possible. Thank you so much. That is the best advice. And being able to follow what you like and learn from it is very important. And you've had a fascinating journey. You know, you've had the privilege to work with people that you find interesting and on some interesting work. You just say that you've been working with Wala as a pro bono lawyer. Could you please tell us how was uh, Wala founded and what kind of work have you been doing in collaboration with the artists? Yeah, sure. So Wala was founded in 1983 and its mandate is unofficially from my perspective without going and actually reading the the whole mission statement out to you. It's basically, you know, fostering the artist community and helping artists. And Wala is not the only chapter like this. New York's got the Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts, VLA. LA has a chapter. They're, they're all over the country. There's a large network of organizations where, you know, lawyers try and promote the arts and work with the arts community. I would say DC is one of the larger ones, certainly, and we have a, a great organization and great programs. And there's two ways that we work with artists primarily. The first one is education. So we put on a variety of educational programs, either organized in um, creative entrepreneur series or as one-offs, including things like blockchain and AI and, and things like that. And we try to stay a little bit on the cutting edge and we make sure that we are providing artists information that they need and that they can actually use. We have classes on things like how to form and choose an entity to protect yourself liability-wise how to apply for grants. Uh, we have tax seminars. I've done stuff on music publishing and royalties for music publishing. It's, it's a very wide spectrum of coursework that we have. I don't know off the top of my head how many courses we have in a year, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was over 30 or 40. There's a significant amount there. And on top of that, we have two sets of pro bono. One is for members and one is for non-members and folks that generally have a certain threshold of income or below. And what we do is we basically gather information on what their needs are, and then we push it out to a community of lawyers who provide pro bono services to all of those artists. And these emails come out you know, once every couple of weeks, and we really try and strive to make sure that there is a robust pro bono community and pro bono activities for the artist community. And we try and do good work through it. You know, there's all kinds of stuff from litigation to entity formations, to filing form 1023 for nonprofits, to negotiating commercial leases, to, you know, negotiating intellectual property disputes. You've got two musicians who, you know, maybe intended to write a song together, or maybe they didn't. And there's a question about that. And 
the law instills copyrights in a certain way, and maybe we need to negotiate something else. And so it's it's a wide spectrum of pro bono services provided, and we structured it so that it goes out to a very wide community because as lawyers, we have a lot of diverse skill sets in the group. And so we're able to help and cater to these needs in, in all kinds of ways. And one really fun concept that I, I'd like to make sure we have out there about Walla is that it's not an organization just of lawyers. It's actually mixed. The board of directors is a mix of lawyers and artists so that we have all kinds of perspectives and voices there speaking and crafting and shaping the organization and making sure that the artist community is actually catered to appropriately. Mm -hmm. And what is the process for young attorneys to apply to be the pro bono attorneys for Walla? Well, I would say it's important to start with trainings. Trainings are, are a great place, and Walla has a lot of coursework that you can take. And I would say there's actually two great places for, for this kind of knowledge and learning in D.C., if you're not familiar with it. The first is the D.C. Bar itself. The D.C. Bar, as I mentioned, has a lot of pro bono programs. And they provide training, and the training is fantastic. The Small Business Brief Legal Advice Clinic, I think that's the full name, I might have a couple of words out of place, is an amazing resource both for folks that need pro bono services and for young attorneys. They provide at least a half day of training on really important concepts of law that are really practical. They have a section on employment law and IP and commercial leases and entity formation and structuring. And this half day of knowledge is invaluable for a young attorney that actually is going to be working with, you know, businesses or artists on the ground. And so I'd say it's, it's really wise to take advantage of this coursework because you're going to learn about areas that you may not learn in your firm or otherwise. Once we, you know, enter into a little niche, a little bubble of what we do, it's often hard to learn legal areas outside of that bubble. And so I think it's important early on to make sure you get exposure to various different parts of the law that you may be interested in. So the DC Bar has a great program for that. And Walla has coursework as well, as I mentioned. It's geared towards artists, but that doesn't mean attorneys can't take it or law students can't take it. And they can certainly learn because it's usually experts speaking about their field and they're speaking in a very accessible manner. It's not a function of citing cases and using blue books. It's real practical knowledge that people will be able to use. So I think that's a good place to start and folk can become members of Walla, attorney members or, or otherwise. They can join the listservs and, you know, they can try to pair up with other more experienced attorneys if that's something they want to do, if that would help them. I can attest to the accessibility of the language that you use. I apply to be the member. And I keep attending the workshop that you've been uh, organizing, and the language is really accessible to even people who are not lawyers. So thank you for the work you're doing. Of course, of course. Happy, happy to help. It, like I said, it's all about giving back. Giving back is, is very important. And, you know, we all have different perspectives and, you know, areas where we want to give back. For me, the arts community in D.C. is one of the biggest. I just see so much value in it, and I have so much love for the city that I want to make sure that it, it prospers and thrives. And so for me, this is my avenue of giving back. I uh, I did have one more question. I mean, I, I was wondering, where do you see your individual practice going in the next five to 10 years? And where would you like to be in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, sure. So I've been a solo for about seven years, and it's it's been wonderful. It's certainly a lot of work in ways that we wouldn't expect. 
when you go to a regular firm, there's a lot of business development infrastructure in place. There's already a moving wheel and you get to join this moving wheel. And in some ways that makes your life a little bit easier, I'd say, because you could just focus on billing. As a solo, we don't really have that option. That's not quite how it works. As solos, we're kind of doing everything. We're, of course, doing the billing, but we're also doing the marketing and the business development and the administrative stuff and answering emails, which takes an inordinate amount of time out of my day personally. We're even setting calendars, right? We're doing everything ourselves. And so, you know, for some folks, it's wonderful to just be able to take a little bit more of a relaxed lifestyle and, and just, you know, bill a few hours a day because as a solo, sometimes that's all you need and you can make a very nice lifestyle for yourselves. Personally, my goal is to grow a little bit. What I've tried to do is created a little bit of a niche in the market to cater some unmet needs. My focus is working with small and medium-sized businesses, often folks that don't have lawyers or can't afford traditional legal rates. There are a lot of mom and pop shops in, well, all over the country, and those are my ideal clients. Those are the kind of folks I love working with. They need a lawyer just like every other business. They need a lawyer as bad as IBM needs a lawyer. But they're cut out of the traditional legal model because they can't really afford the traditional legal rates. And so my role is to cater to these kinds of businesses where the need is a little bit more unmet. And there's, there's a lot of players in this space. There are a lot of small businesses across the country. So my goal over the next five years is simply to grow, to be able to work with more people and more businesses and help safeguard and help these small businesses expand their operations. So over the next five years, I'd love to grow and grow beyond a solo and have a few folks working with me, helping me in my mission of helping small business in the United States thrive and prosper. Thank you so much for having us, for making time. It was a great pleasure talking to you. And I'm sure the law students are going to be inspired with this conversation. Thank you. It was wonderful being here and wonderful chatting with all of you today. The DC Bar Law Student Community strives to engage and support law students before you graduate and expose you to the tangible benefits of joining the DC Bar and DC Bar communities. Curated programming allows law students to participate in leadership trainings, substantive content programming, networking with practicing attorneys in fields of interest, writing opportunities, and other activities designed to expand your legal education beyond the classroom. Make an investment in your legal career by joining the law student community. To learn more, visit us at www.dcbar.org or email communities at dcbar.org.